Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Okay, let's uh, read Genesis chapter 22 and we'll read a few verses here. And it came to pass after these things, the things that happened in the previous chapter, that God did tempt, or a better word would be to test Abraham, put him to trial. God doesn't tempt any man with sin, uh, so the word tempt is to test, to put to trial. So God did test or uh, put to trial Abraham and said unto him, Abraham... And I like to, to notice here that God uh, only called Abraham once. A lot of other people in the Bible said, Moses, Moses, Elijah, Elijah. But he didn't say Abraham, Abraham. Just called him once by now he is very sensitive to the voice of the Lord. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass or the donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Now notice twice here, uh, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, the, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now let's just hold it there, and I want you to go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and... Uh, this is on your notes here, Hebrews chapter 11. Just want to uh, just uh, put several scriptures into our mind before we look at the uh, word here tonight. Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, verse 17. Hebrews 11 verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac... And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And uh, it's interesting to note that the Greek word for figure is tupos. 
type, from where we get the word type from. So let me read that again. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a type. Okay, now I want to go over to one more scripture here in our little jigsaw puzzle tonight. Let's turn to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 3. Second Chronicles chapter 3. And in verse uh, 1 we have a very significant verse here, Second Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Now I'd like, like to encourage you to take down notes tonight the Redemptive name that we're looking at in our, in our picture here, if you go back to Genesis now, Genesis chapter 22, the, uh, the redemptive name that we're looking at tonight is Jehovah Jireh. We sing it, Jehovah Jireh, and what does it mean? The Lord will provide. Now, as we look at these redemptive names, and uh, next week I'm not going to be here Thursday, but Brother uh, David Searle will be continuing on on the redemptive name, the next one that's in, in uh, Exodus 17. But the only particular compound, uh, as I've got on the notes here, this is the first specific compound redemptive name of Jehovah revealed in Scripture. And so, so as we look at these redemptive names, in order to get the full significance of the redemptive name, we need to look at all the, the details, the factors or the details surrounding the redemptive name. Now in the, in the scene that we have here, I want to uh, break, break up the, uh, what we're looking at in our time together. I want to break it up into three particular sections. Alright, so what we want to look at here now is something about Mount Moriah, which is very special here, and uh, in the scriptures I've given you. So first of all, we want to look at the foundation in the book of Genesis. So Genesis chapter 22, uh, the seed book of the Bible, the foundation book of the Bible. And then, of course, we have something that we're just going to be able to refer to in 1 Samuel chapter 22. And then, of course, we're going to look at the scripture we looked at in 2 Chronicles chapter 3. So uh, we're looking at a jigsaw puzzle here that because of God's foreknowledge, his omniscience, he sees the whole thing from beginning to end. Now, we'll only be able to touch on some of the main spots here. Now, one of the things that I've said to you from time to time as we look at these areas is this, that all through the Old Testament, God gets men to do typically what he himself is going to do actually. It's a real important biblical principle. And people, particularly when uh, we use both Old and New Testament, people say, oh, why do you use Old Testament, Kevin Con? You're an Old Testament man, and I'm a New Testament man. It sounds spiritual. I say, I'm not an Old Testament man. I'm not a New Testament man. I'm a Bible man. Amen? Because it's a total book. Thank you, David, for that amen. That's worth, uh, that's worth a love offering. Uh, amen. Okay, thank you. 
Uh, oh, I like my amen corner up the front here, you know. Okay. All right. So, so God got men to do typically in the Old Testament what he himself was going to fulfill actually in the New Testament. So now in the picture that we have in Genesis chapter uh, 22, the first thing we notice is we have Father Abraham. And we've noticed this before in the, in the beginning of the redemptive name. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So here is Father Abraham. And as you've got on your notes there, if you want to put the corresponding thing, Abraham the father becomes a type of God the father. So God the father got Abraham the father to do typically what he was going to fulfill actually. Okay, so this is the Old Testament scene. Now, you can put down the bottom here the New Testament correspondence type and anti-type just so correspond you'd think it was inspired. So, Father Abraham, the father of all who believe. Now, Father Abraham has an only begotten son. And as I've said this before, we need to repeat it again, there are only two only begotten sons in Scripture, Isaac, the only begotten son of the Old Testament, and Jesus, the only begotten son of the New Testament. So two only begotten sons. So uh, Father Abraham and only begotten son Isaac. And so God the Father says to Abraham the Father, I want you to do typically with your only begotten son what I'm going to do actually with my only begotten son in New Testament time. So Father Abraham and Isaac is only begotten son. And so the Lord said in Genesis 22, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. On the back of his sheet, I've uh, reduced Brother Patterson's notes, and he's done a very full outline on the birth of the son and the sacrifice of the son, so I don't need to repeat a lot of those things, but just some of the major points. So now, this only son, uh, he was loved. The father loved the son. Just as God the Father loved his only begotten Son. God so loved the world, and yet Jesus was the Son of his love. And he said to him, Take your only Son whom you love, and get into the land of Moriah, and offer him... Now, there's so much in this chapter, I just get overwhelmed with the glory of it. How many feel that way at times when you're reading the Word? So I want you to go to Mount Moriah, so a special mountain, Mount Moriah... And I want you to offer him for a burnt offering. Now notice not a sin offering, not a meal offering, not a trespass offering, not a peace offering, but the highest order of the Levitical offerings, a burnt offering, which was a voluntary offering. And there was no sin involved, particularly in the burnt offering. That's not the thought there. The trespass offering, the sin offering deals with that. But offer your only begotten son for a burnt offering and the word sin is not mentioned once. Now all that's seed significance because God was seeing his only begotten son Jesus who would be offered up on a special mount as a burnt offering the sinless one but he would also be offered as a sin offering but that's that's another another picture there but in this one it's the burnt offering the highest of the voluntary offerings the sin offering was compulsory this is voluntary upon one of the mountains and so in verse uh, 3 uh, Moriah, pardon me, becomes the appointed mount of sacrifice. In verse 3, Abraham rose up early in the morning. Now remember, Isaac is not a little pipsqueak of a kid. He's not a little boy in nappies. Diapers, what do we call them here? Nappies, okay. Diapers over there. <clears throat> okay, uh, he's a young man. He's a youth. And so Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two 
of his young men. Two witnesses now. I want you to notice this. So he's got two witnesses, two of his young men. And these two witnesses, and there's more in this than meets the ear, but these two witnesses were going to travel with the father and the son. Cannot see that? Okay, they were going to travel with the father and the son. And they'll only go so far, but the two witnesses uh, would be there. So uh, took two of his young men and Isaac his son and the wood for the burnt offering. And so off they go. Then verse 4, on the third day, so somewhere there's something in the third day here. Uh, we think of the antitype without doubt, the third day. This is the third day. After three days, he'll rise, rise again. So, in other words, three days' journey. And we could, we could go off on that, on all the three days that are in the Old Testament. Jonah's three days. Three days of the only begotten Son here. All the three days in the Old Testament, all of them have some aspect of truth that point to the cross. And the death, burial, resurrection, the threefold event of the three days and three nights. Uh, but here it's three days in relation to an only begotten son. In the book of Esther, it's three days in relation to the bride, the church. In uh, Jonah, it's three days uh, in relation to a submarine ride. Uh, <laughs> and the repentance of a Gentile city by the preaching of a Jew. The house of Judah. Prophet. So there's just, just no end to that. So on the third day, he lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now I want you to notice in verse 5, Abraham's declaration of faith in the resurrection. Now we never know that except what, uh, uh, by implication and also by what we read in Hebrews. So let's listen to the language here. Uh, and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the donkey... So these two witnesses could only go so far and no further. They were not going to see the actual death and resurrection of this only begotten Son in type. And I think of what happened at Calvary and the two men, the two witnesses in the tomb. So Abraham's declaration of faith. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Isn't that fantastic? That's Abraham's declaration of his faith in the resurrection. That's why Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says, accounting that God was able to raise him up, because as Abraham the father was walking up with his only begotten son, three days journey, wow, this is my only begotten son, all the promises are in him. God said to me, in Isaac shall I seed be called. Not in, not in Ishmael. But in Isaac shall the seed be called. And so if I've got offering for a burnt offering and the promises of God are at stake, then the only thing that I can see, and no wonder the book of James says that Abraham's faith was perfected when he offered Isaac. That was the perfection of his faith. All the others were steps of faith. And uh, as he would reason, well, if I offer Isaac up, uh, in whom all the promises, it means that God's going to raise him from the dead. So he's able to say to the two witnesses, you stay, you can only go so far, but father and son are going to walk together in unity and we're going to worship. So Isaac's death and resurrection involve somehow worship, just as Calvary does. His death and resurrection, it's the center, foundation of our worship, and we will come again. 
That's faith. None of us have had a test like that, have we? All the tests we go through are just chicken feet compared to that. So in verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon his, Isaac, his son. I can just see them. This is what God... Why, why don't you... Let me, let me quote this one. I think, yeah, I think it's on your notes. Have you ever wondered what this scripture meant when uh, the uh, scribes and the Pharisees were having a go at Jesus? And uh, Jesus said... That if a man keep my saying, you'll never see death. And they said, now we know you have got a devil and you deem it possessed. Abraham's dead and the prophets. And you say, if a man keep my saying, you'll never taste of death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? And then Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Now when did Abraham see Christ's day? Right here. How many know, how many would believe that as Abraham walked three days' journey up to the particular mountain, offered his son in Taipia in death and resurrection, oh, he saw my day. Wow, I'm only doing in type what God the Father is going to do 2,000 years later with his only begotten son three days' journey and go up Mount Calvary. And he's going to be raised from the dead after three days. And Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. Hallelujah. Huh? He saw something way down there. And so he would see as they put the cross of wood on Jesus. Just as Isaac carried his own wood, so Jesus carried his own cross. So as they're going up the mount together, Isaac said, my father, here is the knife and the wood and the fire, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? It is so profound. Isaac, the only begotten son in the Old Testament, asking his father, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 2,000 years or so later, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and John the Baptist answers Isaac's question, Where is the Lamb? And 2,000 years later, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb. How many think the Bible could be inspired? So John the Baptist answering Isaac's question. As he introduces the New Testament only begotten Son, he saw the Son of God and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, and here's John the Baptist introducing the New Testament only begotten Son, answering the question of the Old Testament only begotten Son. Where is the Lamb? Behold the Lamb. And then uh, verse 8, in my little mind anyway, is such a play on words. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide. Now, where are we getting this from? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. My son, God will provide himself. Now, I, I play on these words a little bit because, and it's not, it's not uh, violating biblical theology. Uh, Abraham said, my son, God. Okay, the son of God was going to be God. He's going to be God made flesh. My son, God will provide. My son, God will provide himself. My son, 
God a lamb. And whichever way you say, it's all truth, isn't it? My son, God will provide himself. God himself will be the lamb. God will provide himself the lamb. God will provide the lamb. Where is the lamb? God will provide the lamb. And God did provide. That's what the whole of the cross is about. And when John introduces him, the lamb in the book of Revelation used 28 times, 4 by 7, 28 times, the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. God providing the lamb. God will provide himself. God will be the lamb. My son will be the lamb. The son is God. God is the lamb for burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. That absolute unity between the father and the son. Then when we get to the mount, we have him building an altar. So, he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac. I wonder how Isaac felt as he was being bound. How did Jesus feel when they were binding him with the nails to the cross of wood? And he laid, and we got no. And if it was he, I'm sure it would have been uh, recorded. But there's apparently no struggle, no striving, no son hot, hitting up to his father, whacking him in the eye, and say, "Are you trying to kill me?" Huh? Now, there's more theology in this than meets the eye. But you see, here, God is doing something that is against His word, almost, or is it? He's asking Abraham to offer a human sacrifice. Is he violating his word? Why must it be a human sacrifice? Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and he's about to take the knife and slay the son. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord calls out and says, Don't do it. Now, verse 14. Verse 13, and uh, the, the implications theologically in this are tremendous. And are, are you excited about the word? Do you feel overcome just with the glory? This is just overcomes me at times, glory of it. And Abraham lift up his eyes and look, behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. So substitution, the doctrine of substitution. Now, I want you to notice something here. We'll just sort of anticipate quickly here. We'll have to. Um, this side of the cross, God offered animals, animal sacrifice. That's about sacrifice anyway. Okay, but at the moment he's asking Abraham to offer a human sacrifice. Is it right to do that? Does God require human sacrifice? What's going on here? But now, where do I go? Let me show this. Genesis 15, Abraham offered five Animal sacrifices are including the birds, five. Now he's offering here in Genesis 22 a human sacrifice, his OBS, only begotten son. But God says to Abraham, I want you to reverse it now 
And don't offer the human sacrifice. Offer the ram. Doctrine of substitution. But now when Jesus died on the cross, and this is, this is the significant, I'm want, significant thing I want to say here, after Abraham offered his only begotten son in type, Abraham never offered another animal sacrifice. And isn't it significant that on the cross, God offered human sacrifices instead of animal sacrifices, but in the Old Testament, he offered animal sacrifices instead of human sacrifices. It was man that sinned, and only a man could die for man. Animals could not deal with sin. Animal blood could cover sin, but could never cleanse it. So with Abraham and Isaac, God uh, substituted animal sacrifice for human sacrifice, but on the cross of Calvary, God substituted human sacrifice for animal sacrifices. And just as, God, uh, just as Abraham the father never offered another animal sacrifice after the typical death and resurrection of his only begotten son, since Calvary, God has never accepted animal sacrifices since the actual offering of his only begotten son. Does everybody get what I was trying to say there? And Abraham knew the doctrine of substitution. Let's uh, go to our note a minute and hold Genesis. Type and anti-type meet together in Isaac and Jesus, the only two only begotten sons mentioned in Scripture. 14 now. I want you to go on Genesis 22 now. It's on the basis of this. So it's on the basis of all this part of the jigsaw puzzle here. Abraham the father, Isaac the only begotten son, loved Mount Moriah, burnt offering, two witnesses, three days, altar, human sacrifice in type. And uh, here, as Hebrews tells us, we have the death and resurrection of the only begotten son in type, offered in a figure. So on the basis of all those factors, now we have the first redemptive name, compound redemptive name, and Abraham called the name of that place, Jehovah Jireh, or the Lord will provide. Now, I want you to notice something that's prophetic here, and there's not too many people seem to pick this up somehow. Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. What will be seen? In the mount of the Lord it will be seen. What, 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 what's going to be seen? Okay, just hang on a minute. In the mount of the Lord it will be seen. So Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Where's the lamb? God himself will provide the lamb. So God did provide the animal in the stead of the son, but here at Calvary he, he provided the son instead of the animal. That's, that's what he's doing. Now, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. All right, now what shall be seen? I want you to go over to... to um, Second uh, Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and we'll just have to skip some of this at the moment. But uh, we've got ten minutes here. Second Chronicles, chapter three. Now let's read the verse slowly again and pick up the significance here. Because 
This is just fantastic, really, what God had in mind. And Abraham's prophetic word, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And in the mount of the Lord, it, whatever it, shall be seen. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Where? In Mount Moriah. Oh, great. So the temple, the house of the Lord. Solomon began to build the house of the Lord. Where? In Jerusalem, in Mount Moriah. Where? The Lord had appeared unto David his father in the place, and that's why I put First Samuel chapter 22 down here, in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Okay, let's put the puzzle together here before we finish up our time here. Threshing floor. Now, this is what you find in the biblical revelation of Mount Moriah. First of all, the first revelation we have of Mount Moriah is that Mount Moriah, the Mount of the Lord, a chosen mount, the Mount Moriah is the place where the Father offers His only begotten Son, burn offering, two witnesses, three days, altar, uh, re compound redemptive name, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, typical death and resurrection. The next revelation we have of Mount Moriah is that Mount Moriah is a threshing floor. He will thoroughly thresh the floor and burn the chaff. And Arana, or Ornan as his name is, Arana means ark, the ark of God, the ark. And Ornan means joy. So here he's in the threshing floor, threshing out the chaff in this period of time. And then when the plague falls because David numbers the people, then God sent down fire from heaven and David chose the site on Mount Moriah and said, this is the house of the Lord. This is where the temple would be built. And so anybody who came to the temple of the Lord and you are the temple of God. It's interesting the church is never called the tabernacle, though we are. The church is called the temple. That temple arose out of this foundation. Now the New Testament anotype is very evident. When we go to the New Testament, we've got the Gospels. And in the Gospels we see all this fulfilled in God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see how Jesus speaks about the Lord threshing this floor. We, you know, it's an expression, funny Pentecostal expression we hang on to. Say, he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And fire, say, oh, I'm on fire for God. Let's get on fire. You're not talking about that. If you read the scripture properly, he says he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire and he'll burn the chaff up with the fire. So the fire is not to make you jump up and down with Pentecostal fire. It's to burn up the chaff. That's a little Pentecostal cliche. We hang, oh, I'm on fire for God. Let's get the fire, the fire. Hallelujah for the fire. No, read it. Baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Yeah, read the rest of the verse. The fire is to burn up the chaff in our life. Preserve the wheat. And chaff is necessary while the wheat is maturing. Chaff is not sin in that picture. <clears throat> 
How many chafe under the chaff? <laughs> Chaff's necessary while the wheat is in the milk stage till it becomes mature. And then once you get mature, then the Lord gets out his threshing and thrashes you in the name of Jesus. He tells me, Kevin, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Uh, yeah, I believe a thousands wouldn't. Tell the Lord, who wants enemies when I've got friends like you? Thank you, Jesus. But after that, the church, the temple arose on the foundation of three days and three nights of an only begotten son and his death and resurrection. Hallelujah. Let's go back to Genesis 22 and finish. Not exhaust it, but finish it. How many really think the Bible could be inspired? Okay, I want, to, want you to fill in your notes here before our time's up. So, as I said, as we look at these redemptive names, we spent a number of weeks on the redemptive name and so forth, and now we're looking at the first compound redemptive name. Okay, down the bottom of the page in Genesis chapter 22, I want to give you the fill-in, uh, verses 15 to 18. So all these details that, are, uh, that the re compound redemptive name rises out of. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn. Now God didn't swear by heaven and earth. Because heaven and earth are to pass away. He swore by his own immutable being. And that's why the book of Hebrews again takes this up. Hebrews takes up so much on Abraham and everything. For when God had made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, if God had said to Abraham, I swear by heaven and earth, Abraham could have said, yeah, I'd like to believe you, God, but later on Isaiah is going to tell us that heaven and earth are going to pass away. So if you swear by heaven and earth, you're swearing by something that will pass away. No, God says, by myself have I sworn, by my own eternal immutable being. Because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. By myself have I sworn, says the Lord, for because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, and here it is, number one, that in blessing I will bless thee. So you fill in there on the bottom of the page before we're through here. In blessing I will bless thee. Number two, and in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed. So blessing. Now on the basis of this only begotten son of three days, two witnesses, everything that's involved there on that basis, on the basis of the compound redemptive name, in blessing I will bless thee, number two, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed, A, and I want you to notice something here, there's a change. I will multiply thy seed, A, as the stars of the heaven, and B, as the sand, which is upon the seashore. Stars and sand. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 15, 14 and 15, I'll just have to quote it here, but you'll find that when God first spoke to Abraham, he said, your seed will be as the sand, as the dust. And he put that first. Then later on he said... Your seed will be as the stars. Look now toward heaven. So first the natural national Israel. And then the stars, spiritual Israel, heavenly. First the earth, then the heaven. But now, please notice it. 
after the cross, after the three days, after the death and resurrection of the only begotten Son, he switches and he said, not the sand first, but the stars. So the heavenly, heavenly Israel. I nearly slipped it out. And someone picked it up. I multiplied your seed as the stars, the heavenly seed, and as the sand. So there will be two Israels. There will be an earthly and a heavenly. There will be sand seed and there will be star seed. How many are glad you're star seed tonight? Number three. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Number three. Promise number three. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Number four. And in thy seed shall only the chosen nation be blessed. In thy seed shall all nations be blessed. Do you want to bless Australia? Do we want to bless our nation? Did someone say amen? Or I'm a little bit hard of hearing tonight. All nations will be blessed through the seed of Abraham. And you and I are the seed of Abraham. We want to bless our nation. What with? The gospel. And the last word you've got to fill in here, the basis was, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Obedience. Come back next week for this exciting episode. How many appreciate that great redemptive name, the Lord will provide? Provided everything in the Lord Jesus Christ and their only begotten Son. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.